We've been reading from Romans, uh, chapter nine, starting chapter 9. Um, if you're following along, if you're using the Pew Bibles to follow along, page 1203. Um, Romans 9, starting at verse 30 and moving on to chapter 10. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They who stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on the faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, All day long 
I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's ask God for his help as we come to this part of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and we ask that as we look at it together now, that you would help us to understand, that you would work in us so that we might grow in faith in the Lord Jesus, and that you might change us so that we might have a boldness to share him with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. William's care, William Carey's hands are sweaty. His heart is racing as he stands up before all the gathered Baptist leaders. Carey has been recently ordained as a Baptist pastor and his heart burns with a passion for mission. To share the good news of Jesus with those who've never heard it before. And he believed that it was his calling to take the gospel to India. But this wasn't the done thing. Late in the 18th century, the church placed almost no emphasis on mission work. Ministers were to lead Christians in their faith, not spread the gospel to the unreached. And so young Carey, he stands up before all the gathered leaders to argue for the value of overseas mission. But just as he's getting into the flow of his argument, he's interrupted. An old minister calls out, Young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. Good thing Nick didn't get that reception from us this morning, eh? Was he right? Was this older minister right? Last week, remember, we grappled with God's sovereign election. Paul showed us that God's promises to Israel haven't failed because salvation has always been about God showing mercy to those he's chosen. God's sovereign choice, it left us longing for the lost, grateful for his mercy, humbled before our creator and confident in our sovereign God. That's because his mercy is entirely up to him, not up to us. Our salvation is entirely a work of God's mercy. He tackles us on our way to hell. God's sovereign choice, it doesn't undermine our confidence, it actually establishes it. But if God is really sovereign, if it's really up to his choice to show mercy, then where does that leave us? Was that older minister right? Should we not bother sharing the good news of Jesus? Does our faith even matter? If God is sovereign, should we just put our feet up, sit back, and let God do all the work? No way. Because Paul's not finished yet. He's got more for us to see. Not only does he want us to see God's sovereignty, he wants us to see our responsibility. Last week in chapter 9, Paul answered our question about Israel by showing us a heavenly camera angle on the situation. God's promises haven't failed. It has always been about God's choice to show mercy, his sovereignty. But now this week, Paul changes the camera angle. It is not just about God's sovereignty. It is also about our responsibility. 
ultimately our responsibility to believe in response to the gospel and our responsibility to share that gospel with others too. These two camera angles on the situation, they aren't contradictory, they are complementary. They fill out the whole picture. Not just of God choosing to show mercy, but God using the means of the gospel to carry out his purposes and call us to respond. We're going to see that in three ways here in chapter 10. We're going to see God's rock, God's salvation, and finally God's mission. Let's get started. First we see God's rock. Paul's summary at the end of chapter 9, it now becomes the foundation that he'll build on for the next two chapters, verse 30. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. The Gentiles are coming to Christ in droves in the first century church. Once they were rebels against God, without his law, ignoring his witness in creation, and yet now they're open to the free gift of the gospel. They are receiving from God that righteousness by faith. But comparatively, hardly any Jews are responding to Jesus. Has God failed his people? No, Paul actually says the responsibility is on them. They have flat out rejected the gospel. They have spurned God's gift of righteousness and tried to earn it for themselves by their works. They are responsible. They have stumbled over God's rock. This is exactly what God said would happen. Verse 33, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and rock of offence, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Jesus is that stumbling stone. The Israelites, they've stumbled over him, but the Gentiles have found that rock of stumbling is actually the rock of shelter. They've put their faith in him. Because God's righteousness can only come as a gift through Jesus Christ alone. That's the thing. The Jews, so confident in their heritage, so sure they can do it on their own, have missed the whole point. But the Gentiles have been able to simply receive the gift. There's another role that Paul's quote of Isaiah plays in. See, both God's sovereignty and human responsibility stand in a symbiotic relationship here. They are complementary angles. God is the one who lays down Jesus as the stumbling stone to trip him up. God is the one who chooses. But the Jews are responsible for their belief in him or not. The fact is, God's Word teaches us both God's sovereign choice and man's responsibility. They are two complementary perspectives on the same thing. God doesn't explain to us exactly how we should reconcile them. He doesn't show us exactly how the whole picture fits together with every question answered. 
We don't get the bird's eye view. We just get these two camera angles. But they are both true. We see it in other places too. Like, remember Joseph's story in Genesis. He's betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery in Egypt, only years later to be God's means of salvation for God's people. At the end of the story, Joseph names them. He says to his brothers, you meant evil against me. They are responsible for their evil choice. But God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive. God was behind it all. He sovereignly ordained that his people should be protected and saved through Joseph. God's will, God's sovereign will, was played out through Joseph's life, even in the means of his brother's sin. That's what's happening here in verse 3. God lays the stone. He is sovereign. But they are responsible to believe in him. And those who do believe will not be put to shame. Israel, they're God's covenant people. They're chosen and set apart. But whether they believe it or not, they desperately need a saviour too. Like all the rest of humanity, they need to be saved. God places the responsibility for Israel's lostness on Israel. God has rejected Israel because they have rejected the gospel. Paul's grief once again bubbles to the surface and he longs for his people. Verse 1, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Paul's heart is bleeding for his people. The words of the gospel have fallen on the deaf ears of his people, and he longs for them, he prays for them, if only they just believe. He knows them and their ways well. They're so close to salvation, but so far away. They're so zealous for God, wanting to honour him and serve him. Paul's been there, remember? And credit where credit's due, they're willing to go to any length to obey God. But they're ignorant. And this ignorant zeal, so misinformed by their twisted view of the law, it leads them to believe in a righteousness based on racial privilege and their own initiative. A salvation based on zealous works of self-righteousness. Not submission to God's righteousness. Not the obedience of faith. There are lots of people who are very zealous about religion. But it's without knowledge about the most important and central truth that God sent his own son to save us. And we can only be righteous through faith in him. Zeal is great, but our zeal needs to be going in the right direction. It's like playing golf. It might be your best strike ever, but it's no good if it's three fairways over from where you should be playing. And so Paul prays for his people, for his people to understand what's been promised in the Scriptures, to hear the voice of the prophets announcing that Christ who would come and redeem the whole world, Ultimately, he's praying that they would see the Lord Jesus. See that God reaches out to save in Christ alone, 
See that Christ himself is the fulfilment of the law, so that there can be righteousness for everyone who comes to him empty-handed with faith. For everyone who believes in God's law. Paul's prayer shows his heart for his people. He longs that they would be saved, that they would believe in Christ and never be put to shame. You see, God's sovereignty that Paul's just talked about in chapter 9, it doesn't undermine Paul's confidence to pray. It establishes it. And Paul's heartfelt prayer for his people should lead us to pray too. To pray for those around us. For our friends and our family and our co-workers and our neighbours, all those around us who don't trust in Jesus. Do we care about them enough to at least pray for them? But I actually think there's something else for us to pray for here too. This letter was written as an encouragement to a church of Jew and Gentile believers in Rome, and it's an encouragement to us too. Paul is a Jew whose ministry is to the Gentiles. And he does that diligently, but he also longs for his own people, the Jews, to know Jesus. Shouldn't we long for that too? Paul's prayer, not just for the lost, but specifically for the Jews, calls us to do the same. To pray for Jewish people to recognise their own Messiah. To pray that they would have faith in him. You see, God's not finished with his people Israel yet. They still have a priority. Remember the gospel, it's God's power of salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So we should pray for them to know Jesus. To believe in Jesus, God's rock, so that they will never be put to shame. In fact, why don't we pray now? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel, which is your power of salvation for all who believe, first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. We pray that many Jewish people will be awakened to the truth that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Please open their eyes to see him and grant them faith that they might believe in him, have righteousness through faith in him, and that they might never be put to shame. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, this responsibility to believe, it is not just for God's chosen people, it's for us too. See, the call of salvation goes out to all. So Paul now shows us God's salvation held out to everyone in Jesus. Verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The law was given as a tutor to lead God's people to Christ. God never intended that the Jews would be saved through perfect obedience to the law, but rather that it would show them their desperate need for God's grace. But that's not what happened, is it? Instead, they used the law to try and establish their own righteousness. They saw the law as a way to lift themselves up to God. But that's not just a Jewish problem, if we're honest, is it? There are many people who think just like this today, both Jews and Gentiles, who think salvation is something that you earn for yourself. That God helps those who help themselves. 
But Paul shows that was never the point of the law. He says that Christ is the end of the law. Literally, he's the culmination of the law. The original word is telos. Christ is the goal or the purpose or the fulfilment of the law. It was always pointing to him. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law through his perfect obedience, something none of us could ever possibly do, so that he offers a new righteousness to those who will receive it by faith. That's what the Jews were missing. They could never accept what Jesus had done on their behalf. They actually never understood what the law was meant to do all along. It's so easy for a zealous person to be lost. To think that religion exists as a ladder to elevate themselves to righteousness and acceptance before God. See how worthy I am, God? Now, I want to be clear here. The problem isn't with zeal itself. A true believer ought to be filled with zeal. In fact, a lack of zeal may even mean someone isn't a believer. But religious zeal is not a watertight sign that someone knows the truth. The fact is, you can be zealous for the scriptures, zealous for Sunday school, zealous for programs at church, zealous for growth groups, and still not be saved through faith in Jesus. The real question is where we are in relation to Jesus. We need to check our hearts in our good works. What is the motivation that drives your zeal? Is it born out of thankfulness and gratitude for what God has done in reconciling you to God? Or are you trying to make up for lost ground? Zealously working to make things right with God, so aware of your past sins, trying to lift yourself up through the things you do, desperately trying to make your list of good works longer than your list of sins. It won't work. It can't. That a telltale sign that our zeal is just a matter of works is a lack of joy. But Christ is the fulfillment of the law so that there will be righteousness for everyone who believes. Paul wanted the Romans to see zealous people can be lost people. And this, and this was, was and is a matter of life and death, especially in the church. Paul desperately wants to convince his people of their need for Jesus. That's why Paul keeps going back and backing things up from the Old Testament scriptures. And who better to point you to than Moses, verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by. Moses was saying that the one who obeyed the law would receive eternal life. But the Jews act as if this is something they could do on their own. When actually the point of the law was always meant to show them that we depend on God alone. That's why in Deuteronomy 30, Moses says that it is possible for God's people to obey, but only through dependence on what God has already done. Only through faith. Verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith says... Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. 
Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Jews hearing Moses in Deuteronomy, salvation wasn't their own effort to earn things for themselves. It was receiving independent faith what God had already provided. Simply put, we don't need to go into heaven or to the world of the dead to find Jesus. He is near us. Nor does salvation belong to the elite, those who've taken mystical journeys. For those who knew something of the scriptures, as the Jews knew the law, God's words of salvation were on their lips and in their That is the gospel of Christ, the word of faith, was and is available, accessible, and simple. God has already done it. Salvation is not a matter of religious effort. It's not about pilgrimages or rituals or fasting or daily prayer routines or sacrifices or offerings. It's not about the least we go to to get to God because God has already come near to us in Jesus. And so we simply receive. That's our responsibility. To recognise Jesus as our Lord. To declare our allegiance to him with our mouths and to believe it in our hearts. To recognise him as Lord and to receive his gift. And the one who receives his gift is saved. He will never be put to shame. Verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Through Jesus, God has brought salvation near for everyone. Jew and Gentile. The requirement is simple. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And Paul quotes Joel here from the Old Testament to show this has always been God's plan, that through Jesus all would be able to call on him, and all can become confident in him. These are comforting words. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No matter who you are, no matter your struggles or the things you're ashamed of, if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, there is salvation for sure. Forgiveness. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Will you do that today? Will you recognise your desperate need for Jesus? Will you stop trying to earn your own way to God and simply receive his gift? Will you recognise him as your Lord and be saved through faith in him? Today is the day. It doesn't matter if this is your first Sunday in church or you've been coming all your life. Today you've heard the call of God to believe and be saved. You are responsible for what you do with that call today. Don't mess around with it. Simply call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Be saved. Right, we've seen God's rock, Jesus, God's salvation for all in Him, and lastly, we see God's mission. 
You see, it's not only our responsibility to accept the gospel, it's also our responsibility to take it out into the world, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach in the assassin? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The gospel is good news. It needs to be heard. And unless they hear, how can they respond in faith? Which means that the gospel needs to be preached. This isn't just what the minister does on a Sunday morning here in church. The word preach is literally to be a herald, someone who announces the good news. In ancient Rome, uh, heralds would be sent to the streets, street corners, in all the corner trees of the territory. <laughs> corner trees. <laughs> Let me say again. In ancient Rome, heralds would be sent to all the streets in all corners of their territory to proclaim the conquests of the The battle is won, peace is secured, the greatness of Rome. This is the responsibility of every Christian, to share and proclaim the good news of Jesus to all those around us. This is the task Jesus gave us when he sent out his disciples to make disciples. This is what Jesus, Peter, calls us to when he says that we need to be able to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ. It is our responsibility to herald the gospel, to proclaim the victory that Jesus has won over sin and death, to declare the greatness of his kingdom, to invite people to call on the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. This isn't just the role of pastors and ministers. You see, your friends are my friends. Your family isn't my family. Your neighbours are my neighbours. God has placed you exactly where you are so that those around you have a chance to hear the good news of Jesus and call on the name of Jesus on your name. Paul asks, how will they preach unless they're sent? But the reality is that we're all sent with this good news, and that's actually great privilege. Paul quotes Isaiah 52. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. For, for Isaiah, these are the feet of the messengers who brought Jerusalem the good news that captivity in Babylon, the exile, is finally over. God is bringing his people home. And that's our message too. The exile from, our exile from God has ended because of what God has done for us through Jesus, his own son. And now, through us, he calls his people home to him. Do you want to have beautiful feet? Don't get a pedicure. Proclaim the good news of Jesus. We are surrounded by people who don't know Jesus. Paul's call is for us to be the beautiful people that bring the news of salvation to everyone who believes and so that they might call on the name of Jesus. Just think for a moment about the person who first told you the gospel. Who pointed you to sure hope in Jesus? How beautiful were their feet to you? How precious that they were bold enough to share the good news and that they took that responsibility seriously. Paul knows that the reality is this good news won't always be received. 
While it's our responsibility to be heralds of the gospel, it's a responsibility in the here and to believe. Verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. For I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words the ends of the world. Is the reason Israel hasn't believed because they haven't heard? No. Paul quotes Psalm 19 to show they have no excuse. By the time Paul is writing, the good news has been preached across the Roman Empire. But this is the sad reality of the mission. Not all believe the message. And so Paul laments. He laments at Israel's failure to believe and obey the gospel. But we still preach the gospel to everyone. God is sovereign. We don't know who he's at work in. And so we share with everyone, knowing that God will work through us, through the gospel, to save those he has chosen. We are responsible to share with them. They are responsible to believe, just as we are. God's promises haven't failed, but his people have failed to believe. But the story is not finished yet. The last few verses of chapter 10, Paul lays out four final scriptures to say that God's not done yet. In fact, through the gospel, God still holds his hands out to his people, even in their disobedience. And the Gentiles coming to faith will make them jealous. It will give his people FOMO so that they turn to him. Oh, we're going to see that next week. William Carey felt God's stirring in his heart. He felt the responsibility that the gospel was to be preached to all people, and he wanted to go to India to do it. And that grumpy old minister who tried to deter him, well, he was at least half that, wasn't he? God will reach the heathen with the gospel, but he's going to use us to do it. And he did use Carey. Harry spent 41 years in India proclaiming the gospel. He became known as the father of modern missions, inspiring countless others to go with the gospel to. Like Harry, let's be the beautiful feet who carry the gospel, the good news of Jesus to those who don't know. So that they might call on the name of God's work. Enjoy God's salvation through him. Enjoy our son God's mission. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you that all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Father, I pray for those who are with us here this morning, those who, who we will meet during the week, who we have a chance to share the gospel with. And I pray that you would grant them faith in the Lord Jesus, that they might call on his name and be saved. I pray, Lord, that you would give us all a burden for the lost, that we might pray for them and that we might boldly look for opportunities to speak of Jesus, that we might do that together as a church family. Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus and the confidence that we can have that if we call on his name, we will be saved. Please give us that confidence and boldness to go out with that news this week. We pray this in Jesus' name.